0: You guys are making me excited for youth group to start. Woo. Thank you so much, students, for giving your time this week to bless your church, to be the church. Oh, I love you. I don't get that every time I preach, so that's nice. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Let's pray. now. <laughs> Well, for those of you who have uh, looked at the topic for the sermon this week and you're thinking, "Hey deja vu uh no no it's it's not deja vu we're just continuing our way through uh first Peter, and I know you may be wondering if i've been typecasted as the persecution preacher here because uh for the-, fa- the last few times i've been here that's kind of been the uh, surrounding topic that we have discussed in First Peter, but that is just the way the cookie the cookie crumbled so um you may also be wondering if I'm just going to use my notes from the last sermon and see if anybody notices. To that, I say maybe. <laughs> Pay attention, because uh, I'm not. I'm not sitting anymore, and uh, you know, it may seem a little different because I can move a little bit. So maybe you won't notice. No, we won't. Preach the same sermon. This is um, this is very important because we've. Uh, we've built, if you go all the way back to 1 Peter, we've, we've kind of built this framework surrounding persecution, right? We've talked about way back in six months, we've talked about uh, the variety of trials that we can face, and Peter's been kind of zeroing in, if you've noticed, through the letter right talking about general sufferings that we might face uh general sufferings that we may just be uh, experiencing for being good people general suffering that we may face for being righteous people and now in chapter 4 he's really starting to pick up the reality for his readers that no we're going to we're going to suffer as Christians we are going to suffer in the same way as the one whom we follow and so we're here at this kind of the, the concluding thoughts on persecution, concluding thoughts on this kind of unjust suffering. And I think, how kind of God! How kind of God to inspire Peter to this place, especially for his readers. Uh, We've talked about the historical context of this book. We know that uh, the church at this time is is kind of beginning those birthing pangs of of really intense persecution that they're going to face real soon under Nero. And how kind it is of God to inspire Peter to not only meet the people in the place where they are and the current sufferings that they might be experiencing, but also to prepare their hearts and minds for what lies ahead. I understand that we are at a uh, we're at a unique Place in church history uh, for Christians here in America, and that the level of persecution that we face is different than millions upon millions of our brothers and sisters across the globe. We don't necessarily fear being one of the six thousand who were martyred last year. We don't. We don't fear our uh, our church being burnt to the ground or our people being burnt to the ground. That's it's not necessarily a reality that we wake up with. Every day, And yet this is soon going to be the reality for people uh, who are reading this letter for the very first time. And how kind it is of their God to meet them in the, precursor, in the precursor pains to that fiery trial that they're about to face and say, I see you. I see you. And I want to prepare you for what exactly that is going to be. And so today in this section that we're going to look at, it's going to be those concluding thoughts surrounding persecution that are going to position the church for what lays ahead and also to prepare them for what they are going to experience. And it's also in a lot of ways, it, it, it has to be our landing place as well right as we as we look at peter's concluding thoughts we have to ask ourselves we've had multiple sermons now to talk about the idea of christian persecution and the potential for us to face it and so this isn't deja vu this isn't this isn't a review before next sunday's sermon or no this is this is us stopping to ask ourselves is our heart posture towards christian persecution Where we are today, do we land in the same place that Peter lands in? His concluding thoughts that he says believers who are about to face the worst fiery trial known as persecution is your heart landing in the place that God's word calls you to. And so let's look at Peter's concluding thoughts and let's see if the conclusions that he draws on persecution would mirror our own. And if not, what needs to change? What needs to change for us to reflect the heart that God wants us to have towards these hardships that we may face? So before we dive into the text, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we give you this time today. It is your time to do a work in us that only you can do Father, in of ourselves we are scared. In of ourselves we are a fearful. We are a hateful people when we are wronged. We seek to justify ourselves instead to, instead of leaving our hands in the justifier. Lord, we, we, we need you. We need you to show us the people that you have called us to be in situations that none of us want to face. We need your spirit to chip away that in us which makes us want to respond to persecution in the flesh. And we thank you for your kindness in preparing us for what may lay ahead for us as a church or what may not. But regardless, Father, you want to prepare us and we thank you for that. You truly are a good father and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's begin in verse 12. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. If you're a note taker, uh, the very first thing I want you to see is in Peter's beginning thoughts, his concluding thoughts regarding the topic of persecution, he reminds his readers, do not let persecution surprise you. Remember the possibility. And we've talked about this before, right? Where it's not a guarantee that persecution will happen, and yet we need to be aware of the possibility. We need to remember that there is a possibility for us to face it. He's saying, don't be surprised by persecution. Don't don't be shocked if it happens to you. You've, You've been warned. If you've looked at the life of Jesus, the one whom you follow, if you've looked at the followers of Jesus and what happened to them, If you've read my letter up to this point, which I hope you have, then you should not be shocked at the fiery trial of persecution that comes to test you. If I am wanting to do a backyard barbecue, and I start hearing the... That actually took a lot of wind power... But pretty accurate, right? Yeah, you know what that means, right? It means don't plan a backyard barbecue is what it means. And yet, if I go through with these plans, if I throw the brats on and I get cornhole out, I should not be surprised if my time is ruined by a tornado touchdown, right? Should not shock me. I should not be surprised about that. I've been thoroughly warned. In the same way, if I find myself on the side of the road looking at smoke coming out of the hood in front of me, something that like for, for somebody like me and those of you who have worked on my cars before, who I love and need in my life, you know how little I know about cars, right? There are times when I check the dipstick and I'm like, I'm just not sure. Like, what are the two dots? I don't, do I want it to be near the first one or near the second one? Do I want it to be over the dot? I don't know what's happening, Right. But I do know this. I know enough to know that when my check engine light comes on, I'm on borrowed time. I gotta, I gotta get this to somebody who has that little machine that they plug into my car and say, "Oh, it's a, it's a PXCR927," and it, you know, it just means that the humdinger on the flow banger needs to be changed out. Great, you got a humdinger, because I. I don't, right? I, I know that when that check engine light comes on, that's a warning that bad times are ahead. And so if I'm sitting on the side of the road and I've ignored that check engine light for the last week, two weeks, three weeks, some of you, amen, I should not be surprised at the smoke that's in front of me, right? In the same way, four believers who are reading this letter all the way through for the first time Believers who have seen what has happened to their Savior, seen what has happened to his followers through the ages, or just simply read the last few chapters of Peter's letter, they should not be surprised at the fact that we just might find ourselves opening the door one day to persecution on our doorstep. That should not surprise us. We saw in 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, an acknowledgement of the multicolored trials that we could face in this life, which we know includes persecution. We saw in chapter 1, verse 13, that we are called to be sober-minded and prepared for whatever we may face as believers with our eyes fully on Jesus. And in chapter one, fourteen through chapter 2, verse 12, we are then called to pursue a life of holiness that reflects our Savior. One that we find in verse 13 through the end of 3 may lead to a life that reflects our Savior in the sufferings that we face and in the persecution that we endure. And yet, we find Peter saying this in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. We know what our Savior experienced. We know the persecution that He faced And to not prepare our minds, to not arm our minds, to not equip ourselves with the potential of facing the exact same reality is foolish. Our minds should be prepared. We should be sober-minded about that reality and the possibility of it within our lives. And if persecution finds itself on our doorstep... We should be no more surprised by that than seeing a tornado after the sirens or seeing smoke after driving around with the check engine light, right? We've been warned. And yet amidst the warning, God sends comfort to his people as well. He's not just blowing the sirens to scare us, but he's also revealing his intended purpose to us to calm us. Again, we see that kindness. Now it would be kind, it's kind of my car to show me the check engine light even though something bad going to happen. It's very kind of them to blow the sirens before this horrible catastrophic event happens so that I can prepare for it. That is kindness. But we see a deeper level of kindness and comfort that God offers to his people. Follow along with me. We'll go back to verse 12 and read through verse 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Thank you, God. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I believe this is what Brother Chase was reminding us of. I don't know where you went, Chaser, but... Uh, I believe what he was reminding us is exactly what Peter is reminding his readers here. Don't let persecution discourage you. Remember the purpose. Remember the purpose of it. Notice how this language that we see aimed at the very direct, fiery trial of persecution, mirrors similar language that we saw when he was describing a more general experience with trials back in uh, chapter one, verses six through seven, where Peter wrote, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that for the purpose of So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter introduced under a general theme of various trials back in chapters 1, uh, chapter 1 verses 6 through 7, Peter now directly applies to this fiery trial of persecution. And like all trials, we know that regardless of severity or duration, they are temporary, right? Even if they result in the worst case scenario of the end of our earthly lives, they are temporary, right? Right? And we know that regardless of the pain that we endure in the process, we know that they are being used to to refine us. Like the fires refine gold and strip away its impurities. And we know that regardless of the cost, even at the ultimate cost, we know that it will result in our praise, in our glory, in our honor at the coming of King Jesus. We've talked about this before. That one day our King will stand before us and praise us for our faithfulness to Him. Can you imagine that? How much of our lives are dictated by fear of what He will say? Fear of what might happen. Is my salvation really secure? Am I, do I need to just kind of go that extra mile here or else? Or like this, this dance that we do in the Christian walk. The beauty that we know we will face on that day when He comes back or on that day when our life ends and we immediately stand before Him is that He will look at us and shower us with praise and honor and glory for reflecting His Son to the end. Amen. That is a beautiful promise that we can hold to, a beautiful purpose that he has for us in the midst of persecution. And as we saw specifically in verses 13 and 14, specifically pertaining to persecution as followers of Jesus, we know that when we endure, one of the promises that, that are imparted to us through it is that we know that we are his we know that we are His. That, that wrestling that we do with the security of our salvation and uh, that song and dance that a lot of us do all throughout our life in Christ, when we are suffering for Him, when we are suffering with Him, that's something that speaks to the heart of the believer through the Holy Spirit that says, no, my, my Spirit is on you. I am resting on you. I have sealed you. I am in you. I am yours and you are mine. Persecution's horrible. And none of us want to face it. And when we think about the people around the world who are facing it at the most intense level, one of the blessings, one of the comforts, one of the intended purposes of that is that in that moment, in that suffering, they can step back and realize this is temporary and the reward is great. And I am in the hands of God. I am his child. What a beautiful promise that we can hold to. So we're not surprised by persecution when it comes. And when it comes, we, we are not discouraged, but we can actually rejoice. We can actually sing in the midst of the storm, which we've talked about before. Again, you you read through Book of Martyrs. You read through uh, different things about martyrs around the world, and and you hear these, what seem like crazy tales of men and women who are being tortured and rejoicing, men and women who are being uh, burnt for their beliefs and rejoicing in the midst of it. And you say, how is that possible? How is that possible? Well, one, God meets us in those moments with his grace. He's there with us, in us, boiling over through us in the midst of that pain, and yet, I guarantee that Peter's readers were not ignorant of the promises that came before. It wasn't just the sermon that they checked off their list. Yeah, I came that Sunday. Oh yeah, I remember that application that, uh, that Peter talked about way back in chapter 2. Or Yeah, I think he mentioned something in chapter 3. When you are going through the storm, you're holding on to what is secure. Right? If you find yourself in the eye of the storm, now that's the safest place to be. If you find yourself just outside of the eye of the storm, you are holding on to whatever is sure, whatever is firm, whatever will be there when the storm passes. These people were not ignorant of the promise, nor were martyrs through the ages. They knew it was coming. They knew it was possible. They knew the purpose and they held on to the hope that God's word is true and that he is good. This response amidst persecution will not be ours unless we are walking with Jesus on this side of it. And in verse 15 through 16, we see a familiar type of warning that we see throughout Peter. Anytime he talks about suffering, persecution, uh, something that is unjust that we are experiencing, there's always this caveat of how we would tend to respond. What would be our natural response? In that moment when we are pricked, what would naturally flow out of us? And we see him uh, giving a, a similar shout out to that in verses 15 through 16. He says, But net, let none of you, none of you who are experiencing this fiery trial, none of you who are going through the pain of persecution, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him not be ashamed of the name for which he suffers the name of Jesus, but let him glorify God in that name. Here Peter reminds us, do not let, don't let persecution corrupt you. Remember the one you reflect. Again, this is nothing new if you've read through 1 Peter in uh, chapter 2 verses 13 through 16. We see that we're called to submit to authorities that are over us and not use our freedom in Christ for evil means. And verses 18 through 25 of chapter 2 we are called to endure in doing good amidst unfair treatment instead of responding in sin and in anger. In chapter 3 verses 13 through 17 we read a call to suffer for righteousness sake over suffering uh, as an evil in response to an evil response to persecution. And in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Peter gives a, a fuller description of one who endures in righteousness over responding to evil with evil. All of which can be summarized by Peter's charge in chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing... In verse 15, Peter isn't just throwing out a a a bunch of random "oh yes." Like this isn't this isn't the moment in the letter where he's like, "Oh man, I'm I'm running out of words. I only get like." three thousand four hundred and sixty two characters i got it. oh yeah uh, so uh by the way don't uh, don't murder that's bad and don't be a meddler and uh you know it's just evil evil in general don't don't do it and uh yeah don't be a thief either no one likes a thief he's not doing that here but instead he's speaking to the persecuted he is speaking to the one whose life is at risk or who is seeing those whom he loved <clears throat> whose lives are at risk what is a martyr it's someone who has been murdered for the name of jesus well wait you're saying that i just have to sit back and let someone take my life that i have to just sit back and and let them take the lives of those who i love why can't i avenge the blood of one whom i love isn't that isn't that just shouldn't we stand for justice And what about these people who come onto, who come onto my property and take my things, who take my freedoms, who take all of these things that belong to me? You're saying I can't Robin Hood that? That I can't, that I can't go and take back and, and give or, or or I can't, I can't bring myself back to good? When those who are out there that have wronged me have done something that I do not deserve, I can't steal in the name of that? Isn't what they are doing against the people of God, isn't that evil? And shouldn't they be able to taste their own medicine? Why can't I do evil in the name of good? And look at these people out there meddling in my affairs. Why are they making my business their business just because I bear the name of Jesus? Why don't I go meddle in their affairs? Why don't I give them a taste of their own medicine and show them just how horrible it is to have someone mess with your life and mess with your world? Don't I have the right to do that? And these are all fair questions. But in response, I would turn the heart of the believer back to God's word. Because I understand what our knee jerk is. I understand what we feel entitled to and what that, that that part that boils up in us and wants to spill out out of us. I, I understand that. I do because I have skin. But what does the one who was fully God and fully man say? What does the one who walked this earth and faced suffering and persecution at its peak say our response should be as we seek to follow him and emulate him? First Peter 2: 21-23 says, "For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you." leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We've seen it all over in Peter and it's not not a Peter thing. It's actually a Jesus thing because Peter followed jesus and he's reflecting the words of the one whom he loved peter mind you in the face of watching his lord get arrested for something he didn't even do what did he do he's a hey guys you know what we knew we were going to suffer jesus warned us of this no what did peter do what we all would want to do right he took his sword out and hey malchus ha! right no ear we know the story. That was, that was what's in Peter's heart. And yet here we are 20, 30 years later of walking with Jesus, of being refined by the Holy Spirit, and we see Peter's response and it likens what our Savior calls us to. In Matthew five thirty-eight through 45 he said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek... so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Point being, suffering willingly for the name of Jesus isn't a path that any of us would naturally desire. We've talked about that before. None of us should want to face injustice. None of us should want to face a martyr's death. None of us should want to experience persecution on any level because it reflects the kingdom of this world. And yet as we walk through it with our eyes on Jesus, we have an opportunity to reflect the king who is coming back to this world to rule and to reign forever, to take every injustice, to take every martyr's death and raise it in such a way where His name is glorified and His will and His perfect plans are accomplished. That is what we have the opportunity to do. And so we're called to not reflect the kingdom of this world in the way that we walk. We're called to not reflect our fleshly outpouring in the face of persecution or the fiery trial being brought against us. But we are called to, with our eyes on Jesus, reflect King Jesus. Which is Peter's point in verses 17 through 18. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Guys, we have a mission. And that mission is to be the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. And so here, Peter reminds us, don't let persecution distract you. Remember the mission. These verses are a little challenging in the English and uh, they can lead us to some interesting places. Um, one of them being uh, that Christians are facing judgment from God that will result in hell for many, right? When we look at the... Uh, When we look at what the text says here, for it's time for judgment, we usually think of judgment in relationship to our sin, to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, that's terrifying. What? Are you saying there that like followers of Jesus, like, yeah, you're in until you're not. Because you're not all going to make it. Only half of this room will make it which half well, like that's terrifying but it kind of seems like that's that's what the text is implying here right like we're being judged we're being sifted and in the end there's only going to be some of us that are going to make it those who have been deemed righteous well no that's not possible we know that's not possible because we read in romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation no judgment for our sins, no, no eternal punishment that we face for our sins for those who are in Christ Jesus. and so we must be talking about a different kind of judgment, a different kind of season for the believer. to give context to that, look at paul 's words in first uh, corinthians eleven thirty two says the judgment experienced talking about the believer isn 't one resulting in our eternal damnation, but in our earthly up but up up up, sorry. That's not what the verse says, guys. That's what something else says. But it's important that I say this, too. So let me say it. What he's talking about here is the fact that our judgment isn't for eternal damnation. It's for our purification. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 11.32. It says, but when we are judged by the Lord, same root word in the Greek is what we see in our text, we are disciplined. We as believers are disciplined so that we may not be condemned Along with the world. In other words, this present season for the household of God that we find ourselves in is a series, or is a season of judgment of sorts. But we're not being judged for our sins. We're being purified from them. We're being disciplined out of them. Right? It's the picture of the Heavenly Father that we see in Hebrews 12. He disciplines His children whom He loves. He's taking us out of our sinfulness. And turning us into a holy people that more beautifully reflects him. That is the season that we find ourselves in. And we get to that scary word in the Greek, it's molus, that, uh, that means scarcely. But it also actually means, and a lot of texts render it this way, as with great Difficulty. Which makes total sense, both in light of the context of this verse and also the verse that he is quoting here. Right? You look at uh, Proverbs 11.31, he's saying, If the righteous are uh, repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? And so what he's doing is he's taking our temporary context where the judgment, the season that we are in right now, one of refinement may be with great difficulty. You look at that fiery trial of persecution and what we can face as God's people in this life, it may not be easy. It may come at great cost. And yet, what's his point? You think of the worst stories that you have heard of martyrs who have faced the worst kinds of death imaginable. The stuff that makes you not even want to talk about persecution or think about it lest you invite something on your life that you do not want. You think about those stories and the fieriest, fiery trial that a believer could face in this season of preparation for glory. And now I want you to read with me that verse one more time. And if the righteous are saved with great difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In other words, Peter's point is the worst that we can face in this life is nothing. The judgment, the season of, of discipline, of refinement, no matter how hot that refiner's fire gets in our time here on earth, there is a time of judgment coming for the ungodly, for the sinner, for the one who Peter says does not obey the gospel of God. What's going to happen to them? What is going to happen to those out there who have never professed the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins? Who have never called upon Him to be not only the Savior from their sins, but the Lord of their life? We have to think about the pain that we could possibly experience in the context of the greater mission. Because our pain, no matter how great, is temporary. And the worst that we can face, the worst that we could possibly face in our minds that we could think of right now, that we can imagine as believers, that we could experience that the name of Jesus is nothing in comparison to what somebody who dies or someone who sees the rider on the white horse with a flaming sword coming out of his mouth, coming from heaven and realizes in that moment my knee must bow. And I have never bowed a knee to him before this moment. Or that moment when they stand before God and all they have is the best that they were to offer him. Oh, I, I tried to be a good person, or or I didn't. Oh, I, I try you know, I, I went to church as much as I could and I and I gave him the offering plate, or I never did well, yeah, I knew that you existed and, you know, I, I, I tried to, you know, I tried to live my life in light of it or I didn't. Point being, those who die without the gospel, those who die without never placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, await a fate that is terrifying, that is terrible. I know it's not PC to talk about hell, but I gotta tell you it's a lot more unloving to not talk about it. And so our heart for you today, and I get it, we've got, uh, we, we've got church kids, you've, you've grown up here, you've heard the gospel often, sometimes twice on a Sunday. And I know those of you who have been in the ABF, uh wing for most of your adult life you know the gospel you've read books on the gospel you've read books on the fruit of the gospel and how the gospel applies in your parenting and your child rearing and in your grandparenting and all of these different things you you know but but if you never had that moment that moment where you realize the fact that if you are standing before the god of this universe the one who made us and you plan on saying anything other than the name of Jesus as the reason why you should spend eternity with Him, then you need a moment today with your Creator to say, I'm sorry for my sin. I am not enough. I need your life. I need your death. I need your resurrection and your righteousness to guarantee my righteousness and that one day I will be raised with you. If you have some idea of what that means but you know you've never walked towards it or you have no idea what that means and you know you've never walked towards it then I want to invite you today to have that conversation with me Pastor Steve is here um, come on up front and let's have that conversation after the service or contact us if you're watching online reach out via email or telephone or again carrier pigeon Charlotte you got you get those in the office right Steven's got a bird feeder they'll come in um But we want, we want to help you know what it means to step over that line of faith. And to all of God's people, to his house, to his family here today, we need to remember our mission. We need to remember that we must endure persecution in a way that reflects Jesus, not only because of how we know that it refines us, not only because we know of the ways in which it blesses us, which, which should be enough, right? It should be enough for us to want to prepare our minds for action. It should be enough for us to want to posture ourselves before Him and say, God, make me ready for that day if it should come. That should be enough. But if it's not, then think of somebody whom you know that one day may watch you go through the fiery trial of persecution and stand for the name of Jesus and that that might be the very tool that God uses to open their eyes to the reality of their own need for Jesus. It is a tool in the hands of our faithful Creator to draw those who do not know Him to Him. And so are we preparing ourselves? Are we positioning ourselves? Are we posturing ourselves by meditating on the truth, being thoroughly conscious of the warning that he has given to us of the possibility of its coming? Are we doing all that we can to not numb ourselves to that reality, to not ignore the possibility of that reality, but to prepare our minds to act in the way that our Savior acted in the face of the fiery trial? I think of a story of uh, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. You guys have probably, some of you might have uh, watched the End of the Spear movie or maybe you're just familiar with their story because they're pretty famous missionaries. But for those of you who don't know, they were speared to death in January of 1956 by a tribe in Ecuador that they had been trying to reach for the uh, previous few months with the gospel tried different attempts, and on the day that they tried to make contact, um, instead of a warm welcoming, they were welcomed with uh, spears being thrown at them, and it cost the lives of uh, five in their team, including Nate, St. and Jim Elliott. And instead of their families making it their mission to avenge the blood of the ones they love by any means necessary, Nate's sister and Jim's wife kept their eyes On a much greater mission. And years, a few years after, they returned to the very same village to bring the gospel. And as a result, um, the majority of that village was brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And years later, years later, Steve, Nate's son, would be baptized by the very man who threw the spear that killed his father. Let that sink in for a second. Because that is the application of the reality that our text today calls us to. Because we are not called to be the judge and jury and the avengers in this life. We have one who is coming to make all things right. We serve the judge We serve the one who rules and will reign forever. And we are called to stand against injustice. We are not called to be Christian doormats. Don't get me wrong. But there is a posture that Scripture calls us to repeatedly. One who reflects our Savior. And one who, when done in His strength by the power of His Spirit, can be used to open the eyes of sinful men to their need of something greater than what they're living for because they see reflecting in our suffering and even in our death the love of one who is greater than what they are living for. But if we are so focused on ourselves, so focused on what we feel we are entitled to and fighting for our own little life and our own little kingdom on this earth, instead of focusing, preparing, and posturing to be a part of something greater, then we might miss our opportunity to scream to the beautiful reality of Jesus and what he offers a world that desperately needs him. They lived out the very conclusion that Peter calls us to in verse 19 where he says, Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. And this is our posture towards persecution to trust God and to continue doing the good that He's called us to, regardless of the cost. Again, the kindness of our Creator. To go at length in this book and elsewhere in Scripture. To prepare his disciples, to prepare the church in the first century and through the centuries and to prepare us as his followers today for the possibility of some pretty dicey situations that we might find ourselves in. Are we prepared for the possibility of that? Have we heeded the warning? Do we know why he does it? Are we to the point where we wouldn't look up at God and say, how could you? You are so cruel that you are allowing this. Do we understand what he's doing in the midst of it? And do we know what he is calling us to, the people he is calling us to be, should we face it? Because the stakes are eternal. May we land the conclusion in our own hearts regarding persecution in the very same way that Peter calls us to. Entrusting the whole of our earthly lives into the hands of our faithful creator who has brought us into eternity while continuing to do the good that he's called us to in this life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you our hearts. And I confess my own fear I confess my own desire uh, to be found right, to be justified in the eyes of man, and to protect myself and to protect those whom I love at all cost. God, I pray that you would give me a view of this life, give me a view of this mission, give me a view of persecution of eternal scale one that reflects the heart that you've called me to have as your son. Help me to place my faith, not in my circumstances, but in you, my faithful, loving, kind father, my good shepherd, who promises to lead me out of the weariness of this life into perfect, forever community with you. You are so good. And it's in your good name we pray. Amen.